Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, the shark, baby. Has such teeth, dear, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe, and it keeps it uh, out of sight. So welcome everybody to Macklin's Take. Welcome back, in fact. We've been away for a couple of weeks, myself and, and Matt Macklin. Hope you hope you have missed us, actually. I was going to say, I hope you haven't missed us, but that wouldn't really work at all, because if you haven't, then um, why do you listen to this podcast? Would, would, <laughs> would have to be the question. We thought we'd just take a couple of weeks just to reset. We, we hit it hard during lockdown, and we now intend to bring you these pretty much up until... Christmas and of course boxing is back. Boxing has been back for a while. BT had their first show on the 10th. They've had three in total now I think. Sky had their first one just a couple of days ago because it's Monday August the 3rd as we record this and their first show at Matrim Square Gardens as most people seem to be calling it was just two days ago on the Saturday night which was which was good fun. Matt was there. Uh, I wasn't myself. I'll be there for the third and fourth ones. I have been to Germany, though, for, for a show over there and been doing some other stuff remotely. Uh, so we'll be talking about all of that. And we'll also be looking ahead to the second Fight Camp show, which comes up on Friday. Uh, and we're in the company of somebody who is fighting on that card. And he's in a very interesting fight. He's got 10 rounds at super welterweight against Anthony Fowler. Now, this is someone who we first became aware of. Three plus years ago now, when he had his Midlands area title fight against Ryan Kelly, uh, and me and Matt covered that one for Sky, I remember calling him up before the fight just to get his background, get his story, because details were a little bit scarce, uh, and we had a really good chat, and I remember coming off the phone just thinking, well, he's bursting with confidence that he's going to win that fight. Um, I can honestly say that in, in, in all the years I've been doing this, I've never met anyone who believes in himself more than the person we've got on today. 
Uh, and it was a brilliant fight in the end. Uh, and he did win, one on points, then gave a memorable post-fight interview to, to Andy Scott. After that, he took himself off to Australia and got himself a Commonwealth title fight. Now, that is a story in itself, which we will get into, because really it kind of illustrates his stubbornness. Um, and that's meant in a complimentary way and, and perseverance as well as anything else. Came back, won an English title, and then last year, on the brink of a British title, thought that was it for him. An adverse finding on a brain scan. Uh, he retired. He was making preparations to train to become a, a referee. And then, after giving it some thought, got that decision overturned. And now he is back. Uh, and he is coming to us live. Not quite live by the time you listen to this, but he is in the matching fight bubble at the moment. He arrived there a couple of hours ago. Uh, and he's now bored out of his mind already because he's a fairly restless soul. It's Adam Harper. Adam, after that incredibly long build-up, that was almost three minutes worth. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm very well, guys. I just want to thank you and Matthew for having me on your podcast, firstly. But, um, yeah, it's been a mad roller coaster. What was it? It's been 23 months since I boxed last against Billy Bird for the English title. Um, I was due to box in February, March last year. So it's been a rough 18 months, really. Well, a roller coaster 18 months. Um, I'd like to think it's it's all good now. But yeah, it's been a tough period. It's been a mad career. And um, I put a post out on my social media saying, this weekend's the next picture of my scrapbook. Um, anybody who knows me knows I'm not coming down here to get my belly tickled and roll over. Um, I don't really need the money. Uh, this definitely isn't financial gain. It's about trying to establish myself in the, the top 10 again. And the Super Wilders, I think Anthony Fowler's ranked number two with BoxRec and he's got a world rating with the WBA. So look, I've trained extremely hard. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm a religious trainer. I live a very clean life, drug-free and smoke-free all my life, alcohol-free six and a half years. I'm coming to bring it and, uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a great fight. I hope, and um, I can't wait to get in there and get it on. So, just take us through what's happened today so far, because people are, are looking at the the bubble that's been created by Matt Troop, BT and, and Frank Warren have done exactly the same thing, of course. And you see how meticulous it is. So, just talk us through arriving at the hotel and the kind of instructions you were given. I mean, is it? I guess they make it as easy for you as they can, but it's it's. I mean, it's a different world, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a mad world we're living in at the minute. I think um, everything that's going on is absolutely madness and crazy. I mean, it's been a two and a half hour drive down with Errol Johnson, my manager, Malcolm Malvin, my coach, and Kane Baker. Uh, we hit a few traffic jams on the way. Get down there. Um, the security guys, the I can't remember, the SAUK guys are superb. Um, big Andy on the front door. Had to wait our turn, go in, have our um, COVID test, the old... Uh, Thing at the back of the throat, the cotton bud, and then up the nose, and then sent to our room and wait for the results. But that'll be in the morning by the time it comes back. So, luckily, I've got all my food prepped down with me. I've got all my meals in my in my little fridge here and everything I need. So it's just a bit it's a bit strange, really, being locked away. Don't get me wrong, I'm quite a private, um, boring individual anyway, if I'm honest. So my own company doesn't really bother me. Um, it's just a bit strange being locked up in a single room and we're not allowed to leave it's a bit bit odd so Matt you were you were part of it last week and you won't have been locked away for for a quarantine spell like 
like Adam has been. I don't, I don't think you were anyway. But what did you make of the make of the whole experience? Away from the fights, really. Away from the fights and the results, because people will watch those. They'll 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 have their own thoughts on that. But just the yeah, just the experience of being there, really. What was it like for you? Yeah, well, I, I got down on the day of the show, so I got that down around one o'clock. Um, pulled into the car park at the Holiday Inn and kind of seen that it was all completely segregated from the other side of the hotel. So you've got the reception at the Holiday Inn, but then you've got a separate entrance into the bubble. Um, and once you go in, you can't come out. I mean, you can come outside, but you're not allowed to go anywhere, you know, off outside. You can come outside to get a bit of fresh air. You're not, you're not allowed to leave. You go to the shop or anything. So I realised that was the situation. So I went to the, the garage first, got my, uh, my rations for, for, for ringside because there was no catering, of course, when normally, you know, we'll have a team meeting at, say, four o'clock and then we'll have something to eat, won't we? But there was no catering or anything like that. So it was simply... So I went to the petrol station down the road first before checking in. Got my rations for the night. Then went and checked into the uh, my room. And, yeah, you just... You're killing time, I suppose. I mean, I was just looking... You know, we did a new thing, a new feature where... We're breaking down the fight beforehand, sort of a few key questions or a few key points to look out for within the fight. Um, so it's just kind of reading that through that, really, just checking over it, um, killing time a little bit on social media, having a bit of interaction with some of the fight fans, how they saw the fights going, what they their uh, predictions were, and, and just trying to kill a few hours before, uh, I think, four, about four o'clock I went down, me, Johnny Nelson, uh, we got picked up and we got took down, and then we were on site from then till the end of the night. So I did think, though, I remember thinking, well, being down here all week, you know, it'd be, you know, like I say, you are restless. You could you, you could get a little bit irritable and you're making way. And you'd be, I think I, I think I remember thinking, you know, the menu here is not bad for me in one of your room service because I'm not fighting anymore and I can have a pizza or I can have a burger. But if I was fighting and I wanted fish and vegetables or... Something like this, you know, and I'd be getting paranoid. How's it being cooked? Is it going to be the royal or all this sort of stuff? I remember thinking, you know, this isn't, this wouldn't be, you know, you were kind of, you wouldn't want to be <laughs> obsessive compulsive, put it that way. If you're, if you're, if you're OCD with how you prepare things, you, this would be an absolute nightmare for you. Um, loneliness, something that doesn't bother me. A lot of me, you know, Adam said, he's, you know, could be a bit of a loner anyway, even even when outside of any bubble. But uh, so that that, did, that I don't think that would have bothered me. But I remember thinking that you know, if I was it was fight week. You know, you're paranoid about making weight. You're paranoid about what food you're eating. You know, we're, we're, as fighters, you're making weight. You're very very particular with your your kind of final week of preparations, making weight, etc. And I thought, you know, there's some people are more particular than others and struggle more than others, and the, those that are on the the top end of that spectrum, I, th- I think they'd be, they'd find this a bit of a, a challenge. Yeah. So Adam, where, where on that, that spectrum are you, do you think? We saw some pictures last week of uh, Dalton Smith cooking his own, what looked like salmon or trout somewhere. I don't know if he had a, a hot plate or whether there's a kind of kitchen facility, but are these the kinds of things that you've been thinking about the last few days to make sure that you didn't get down here and the, there were any, surprises that would kind of throw you out of kilter, if you know what I mean? 
Um, I was intrigued by what I saw with Dalton Smith. I saw like a little camping stove thing he had, the little hobs, and it intrigued me, but it was a bit too much money to go and buy one, if I'm honest. So I didn't want to go down that route because I didn't want to buy new stuff I'd only used once. So I contacted the hotel. Um, and funny enough, as I rang, the lady said that she was sorting out our rooms at the time. So she said, I requested a mini fridge and I, me and the missus were doing all our meal prep last night. So I've got all my meals prepped and lunch boxed up. And um, they're all in the fridge now waiting for me for the rest of the week. So I'm very particular in a way that, like Matt said, uh, for, you know, especially this last week, I am anyway throughout camp, but this last week alone is a very, very important mentally and just to get everything ticked off. So I've got all my lunch boxes weighed out, everything down to a T. And um, yeah, so I'm, I am a bit OCD in that sense, but I've got everything um, planned and prepared. It just means that, it's taking down, taking part in the holiday in Brentwood rather than Chooksbury where I live and Redditch where I train with all the lads from Birmingham. So all I've done is move location, really. I've got everything I need and uh, I'm, I'm rocking and ready to go. Uh, and just quickly, what's it been like having to try and do the weight for the first time in nearly two years? I mean, you look, you, you look, you look like you're, you're close to it now. I mean, you would be because you're only two or three days out, but it's quite a long time that, isn't it? Not to, you know, not to have to do it. Uh, it is, yeah, and obviously I haven't, obviously I haven't jumped on the scales yet, so I don't want to, you know, speak, you know, run before I walk, whatever the saying, saying maybe I get all mixed up with these sayings when I try and act clever, so I don't want to, you know, speak too soon, but um, so far so good, my weight's been perfect through camp, like I said, this little rest away, um, Mike Lockley, a reporter from Birmingham, Matthew probably knows him. Uh, he, he called it a sabbatical for myself, and I see it as a sabbatical. I was kind of falling out of love with boxing anyway at the time of the adverse brain scan. So uh, since I've been back, I've I've done everything religiously. The way I've always trained very very hard. Everyone will tell you that, but um, my weight's been great for a long time, and um, I live a real healthy, clean life anyway. I've been trying to just eat and live clean for months. Uh, lockdown's really been, I don't want to say this and upset anyone, but this whole lockdown stuff's been a blessing in disguise for me. Um, I've been furloughed from work and just training full time. So everything's worked out for me. So hopefully the weight will be perfect on Thursday and um, I'll refuel big and strong. I've, I haven't had to drop a load of weight like some boxers do normally. I have had to in the past. I've done a Billy Bird fight. I won't tell you the weight I came down from. Obviously I had the bad loss in Australia in March and was really down and out about the whole sport and everything in life, really. So I bloomed up in weight and was just eating anything I can get my hands on times 10. Um, and I had to kill myself to make it for that fight, which is probably why I look like a skeleton wrapped in skin. Whereas this time I've been living really, really healthy and for a long time. And I'm probably the happiest I've been in my private life ever. And um, everything's going great. I don't want to keep waffling on about nonsense, but um, hopefully I make the weight perfect come come Thursday well on that score you say you're the happiest you've ever been in your private life I need to I need to bring this up in case I forget later on but I did see on Twitter and we, we spoke about it briefly um, before we hit record you very you really did have a productive lockdown because as you just described there there was all that going on but you also got engaged so talk us through that it's quite <laughs> I've got I've got a lot of time for your method of doing it <laughs> yeah so I've um I've been with my partner now, not not mega long actually, only since the start of the year, so coming up seven months, but she's the love of my life, I love her to bits. I've known her for a while, and I know her parents, and um, yeah, just everything was going great, I just 
don't want to sound too cliche and like a Hollywood film. You'll probably set me off with it crying today though it's a bit emotional down here on my own but um yeah just plotted with my mum that asked obviously asked her dad for the permission which is a scary thing because he's a bit of a big bugger so that was a bit of a daunting task um got the green light off him and then planned to we used to go to a spot I live in the middle of nowhere um where there's a load of hills and stuff we just got this hill this little spot and um I pretended that I was going on my second run of the day and I had it planned that a mum was going to bring her over and I'd lost my car keys and now I'd be waiting with the ring. And um, we had a bit of an argument in the morning because she was saying that Malcolm, my coach, would be going mad at me for doing two runs in one day. Obviously, it was a lie. I wasn't going on a second run. I just drove up to the spot. And then, um, yeah, mum brought her up and she turned up and there was me on one knee, proposed, and it was a, a yes, thankfully. Otherwise, uh, God knows what was God knows what would have happened if she'd have said no to me. I don't know, but it was all good. She gave me the green light, and uh, it's looking like the end of next year we're getting married now. So it's great. It's been a, it's been the best year of my life so far, and I hope this continues. Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids! Hey, everybody! Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health. Thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called The Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to The Desire and Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! Well, congratulations. I, I always like hearing those stories of how people choose to do it. Macklin's yet to do this, you see. I, um, I, I, I thought I'd get quite creative about mine, but I remember saying to my wife, you know, obviously I need to ask your dad first. And she said, yeah, you definitely need to do that. Uh, and I said, what'll he say? And she said, oh, he'll, he'll, be, he'll, he'll be for it. You know, he likes you. Um, and then he'll just say, yeah, just, just crack on in your own time. And she was lying to me. Uh, and she knew she was lying to me because she knew that what he would actually say was, she's Nigerian, my wife, and their traditions are slightly slightly different to ours, I guess. And and she knew that what he would actually say was, okay, so what's going to happen now um, is that you're going to come back here on a Sunday of our choosing with the ring and in front of assembled family members, you're going to propose in our house in front of all of us. Um, <laughs> so that's what I had to do, <laughs> which, which was not, you know... <laughs> That's not what she said. That's not what she said. But but so we kicked off our kind of betrothal with her just telling me a barefaced lie uh, about <laughs> about what was going to happen. But it's all worked out fine since. Um, Matt, take yourself back to when we first came across Adam, which was that area title fight against against Ryan Kelly, uh, Birmingham Bill. And I remember saying to you a week or so before the fight, maybe this Facebook area title fight is a real banger. Because the the city had kind of got behind it. Uh, the local TV station had done a little kind of 24-7 on it. Um, Adam was giving interviews. Ryan Kelly was giving interviews. There was a little bit, a bit of needle there. It went off a little bit of the weigh-in. And then on the night, it was just it was just a great fight. Yeah, definitely. Well, congratulations, Adam, first. Um, no, Matt, thank you. Fair play to you. Um, in terms of... That fight, yeah, Ryan Kelly is from Solihull, where I'm from, and I think he was trained by at that time by Spencer McCracken, maybe still is, I'm not sure. So, you know, and then Andy was telling me about you, and there was a, there was decent coverage for that fight, and I was thinking, you know, you know sometimes 
you know, you get big name fighters in fights that, I don't know, maybe the, it's a, it's a hand-picked level opponent, a good opponent, but, you know, a fight he's supposed to win and, you know, it's, it's okay, but the air, I don't know, there's something about like British title fights and area level fights, they just, they catch fire, they, like we seen it on, some, on, on Saturday night, Eggington against Cheeseman, right, I know that's British title, but it's, it's the same sort of mentality, you know, a Midlands area fight, it's like, it's a traditional, you know, there's a certain level, there's, it, it, both guys are coming to win, there's an equal sort of ambition, there's no, you know, if, if it's an international title, um, it could be someone, you know, the promoters bringing him along and it's a hand-picked opponent. Like I say, again, it might be a good opponent, but it's hand-picked where an area title, it's, it's a bona fide traditional title that everyone wants to win. And because it's an area title, a lot of the time, you know, some of the people involved, maybe their trainers, their trainers, managers, fans, mutual people, friends, whatever, they, they, they can be great fights. And I remember going to some of the first ever professional shows I ever went to would have been at the Tower Ballroom in Birmingham, in Edgebaston. And I would have, you know, a lot, quite often, the main event of those fights were these area titles. So when Andy was telling me about himself, and I knew who Ryan Kelly was, like I say, he's from, uh, he was solo and he was trained by Spencer McCracken. We were looking forward for, to the fight. And of course, you know, it, it, it didn't disappoint. Um, quick question before I crack on, actually. Why do you look... What, what brought you to Birmingham and, and Malcolm Alvin? Because you're not, I'm guessing by your accent, you're not from Birmingham. Nah, the lads at the gym take the mick out of me saying I sound like a farmer. I live down um, <laughs> near Tottenham, so I've got a bit of a country voice. But um, I've kind of been around the gyms. There's nothing really down in my area. Um, there's nothing at all, really. It's either Bristol or Birmingham or I guess Newport. If you've got like a circumference and did like a 60-mile mm. radius, you'd hit those. I did a bit of training down with Andy O'Kane in Bristol, um, who's a great coach, man. I had a great bloke as well. He trains Joe Hughes, the European, a former European champion. Um, but obviously, with my manager being up in Birmingham, um, Errol Johnson, well, West Midlands. I know you guys get funny with that when I say West Midlands and Birmingham. Um, but I don't know. I just came across Malcolm through uh, a mutual friend, Lennox Clark, the super middleweight who just boxed the yeah. room, Rich. And... Um, he said, I'm going to train with a guy called Malcolm Malvin. Why don't you come? I was looking to, for a change at the time and I went with Malcolm and it's been the best, uh, the best thing that's done happened for my career, really. He's taught me about really being, I thought I was disciplined and dedicated before, but he's taught me what it's about. He's talked a lot about his mistakes himself as a pro and how you should be living and how you should be training and the difference between thinking you're training hard and training hard. Um, so it was kind of through Lennox Clark that I met Malcolm and uh, it was the connections of Errol Johnson in Birmingham that kept taking me up that way. So I thought it's pointless being trained down in Bristol but managed in Birmingham. And I still have to go up to Errol's gym sometimes. It was kind of going between two places anyway. And I wanted just to be going north rather than south, north, south, north. It just made a lot of sense to be going that way, I think, if that makes sense. And how did you link up with Errol? Um... I think it was, I boxed in the ABAs and I put on Twitter, I, I, like every amateur does, I had a bad decision. I said, oh, I'm never boxing as an amateur again. The game stinks. Um, I want to turn professional. And then his Twitter page tweeted me saying, um, we'd love to talk to you. I spoke to a few other people. Um, Errol took me to like an Aston Villa game. Um, I, I just liked how he was really I thought he was honest straight to the point um, I spoke to a lot of people and no one had ever said a bad word about him said he's a very honest man and a good person in boxing and 
you've kind of got to take people's um, who have been in the game, been there and done it, take their opinion. And that's what I did. And I've been with Errol ever since. And I'll be with him until the day I retire now because he's the most honest, fair person that I've ever heard of. And I've never, you know, you rarely hear a bad thing said about him in all the years I've known him. So that's really how the connection all linked over social media, I guess. Well, yeah. no, he's a, he's a good fellow, Errol. I know he, he, he was actually uh, in the corner against me, my first ever amateur fight. So I go back with Errol Johnson pretty much as long as I've been boxing. And, and you're right, he's yeah. a real good bloke. So they've uh, done well there. Yeah, but back to the fight in Birmingham, it was a good fight. And, and, and then Andy was telling me about his service. He's got a great story. He's a good talker. You know, I think we should get him on. So here we are. Nah, cheers, lads. I appreciate it. Some people probably think I talk too much and I waffle, but uh, yeah, I'd like to think I'm um, articulate, go. as they say in the uh, newspaper in the Birmingham Mail. But... So, Adam, if you just take us back to that that area title fight uh, that we've been mentioning the last the last few minutes, because we did this make or break series on Macklin's take that lasted eight or nine weeks, and we were going to get you on to talk uh, as part of that, because that area title fight for you was... It, it, it was massive because you're from a part of the country where boxing's not that fashionable. So it's been difficult to generate backing. And with black country boxing, you've got a good a good backer, a good manager in Errol Johnson. But you were on that bill as the as the away fighter because Ryan Kelly was an East Side boxing club boxer, still is, um, and therefore in the home corner with, with John Pegan and, and Soggy Cunahan. And I wouldn't say that you'd been lined up to to get beaten, that they would be 100% confident they were going to beat you. But if you lost that fight, then in terms of opportunities, that, that could really have been it, couldn't it? Um, yeah, I think it would have been it. I was, all, I was almost, um, and this isn't me being negative, because I obviously I trained like a lunatic and I had great ambitions to win. But I almost thought if I lose this, then... I'm going to have to have life on the road as a journeyman, essentially, because I still enjoy the boxing. I wanted to earn a few quid out of it. Um, obviously, I had great desire to win. You could tell that the shape I came in and the effort I put in. But, yeah, essentially, that would have been a game changer for me and it would have left me at the bottom of the pile. Um, instead, I had a big win. I went straight home that night. Instead of going out partying like a lot of fighters do, I went straight home to my brothers with a tub of Ben & Jerry's, got straight onto BoxRec seen that the Commonwealth title had just been won by a guy called Anthony Buttyegg in Australia, found out that the promoter contacted the promoter on Facebook and because of the time um, the time slot, because I think it was 3am at the time in, in the UK, that Saturday Sunday morning it would have been, he replied straight away and I started the ball rolling that very, so probably six hours after beating Ryan Kelly, I was already hunting for my next fight, so it was definitely a make or break and it was uh, it made me the fighter I am now, I think, gave me opportunities and uh, definitely grew from it, fighting on Sky Sports and uh, all the coverage of the Villa TV and stuff like that, the Made in Birmingham, like you said. It was mad coverage. I was a bit shocked. Off. I thought it'd go under the radar, if I'm honest, but we got so much coverage, it kind of blew my profile out of the water. It was decent. Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios.
you mentioned that Commonwealth title fight there, and that 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 story itself is is a cracker because first of all, you show that proactivity to go after that fight. Um, then you go to Australia. You went out a good while in advance to make sure you're acclimatized, and then he gets injured. And most people would think, well, God, that's terrible. Like I'm done now. I'm just going to have to come home. Not Harper, not Harper. He sticks around thinking, is there any way that I can resurrect this? And in the end, you and who else managed to get Buttigieg to agree to vacate that title, even if temporarily, so that you and somebody else, and that somebody else turned out to be Michael Zarafa, somebody he knew really well, a good rival of his, could, could box for the vacant title. And, and that's, that, that really kind of, <laughs> for me, that kind of sums you up. You know, you will not accept uh, defeat wherever it may occur, whether it's kind of administratively outside of the ring or inside it. Yeah, 100%, Andy. I mean, um, there's a bit more to that story. I was due to actually fight him in the October 2017, so four months after the Kelly fight, five months. And um, it was a Sunday, about two weeks before... I was due to fly out, or 10 days before I was due to fly out. I just had a good spa with a good lad up in Birmingham, about a million dollars, about six days before I was due to fly out. And we got a, I got an email off the promoter saying, um, but he had done his knee in or something like that, and the fight had been postponed, and I was devastated. It was going to get pushed back to March. Um, at this point, I got made mandatory for the Commonwealth, so I was a bit happy with that. And then... Me being stupid, I ignored Malcolm's advice. He just, we had a disagreement, and I went against what he advised me to. As fighters being stupid sometimes, think they know best. And for some mad reason, I don't know if this was public knowledge. I travelled to Australia alone in the March. I actually tra- flew over on my own in February. Um, I went to a gym where Jared Fletcher trained in Brisbane. I based myself there for six, seven weeks with coaches I never knew just based on the fact that they were Jared Fletcher's coach, so they must have been half decent. Um, and then about eight days before the rescheduled Butty Egg fight in brackets, I got a phone call off the promoter saying, Butty Egg's got double vision in sparring, but it's okay, you can bite Michael Zarafa. And me being me, I wasn't going to say no. I'd been in Australia for six weeks at the time. I wanted to get paid. I wanted the opportunity. And I felt in great shape and I thought, you know, it's a, it's a fight I can definitely win. Being a bit naive, really, because Zarafa is world level. I know he came over and boxed Cal Brook after, and um, he lost. But he still put up a good fight against Brook, and then there's a lot of the stuff saying Brook only looked that bad because he'd lost, uh, left Dom Ingle. But then Zarafa went and beat Jeff Horn, um, who was a former world champion. Then he lost to Horn on points, but in another great fight. So realistically, at one point, Zarafa was ranked fifth in the world. So my only loss is on points to a world-rated fighter who I ultimately trained myself for because I was doing my own thing in Australia. I didn't have Malcolm who was guiding me for all my training camp. So, But look, that's making no excuses. My own fault. You live by the sword, you die by it. And uh, I had to pay the ultimate price. I thought I knew best and uh, I was 100% humbled. I should never have really taken the fight. He was levels above me, but you live and you learn, and I'd like to think I'm a better person for it now. So there was even more to that that Commonwealth title fight story than uh, than I thought. I undersold it, if anything. And um, Matt, just listening to that, you talk about this a lot, the need for fighters to to drive their careers and and be proactive. And 
and not just wait for opportunities to present themselves or assume that it's going to happen. Uh, And that's exactly what he did there. Uh, And sometimes you see more of that kind of impetus from fighters from unfashionable boxing backgrounds, if you like, where they don't necessarily have the backing because they know that they've got to go out and get it themselves. No one's going to give them anything. No, exactly. Look, you know, if you're waiting for things to happen, you, you might be waiting a long time. You have to go out there and make things happen, you know, get and not, not even just talking about the actual fighting side of things. I'm talking about the business side of things. And it is great. You know, if you've got a manager who's really proactive backing for you, that's great. But, you know, so all, ultimately, that might be a, that manager might have 10 or 15, 20 guys that is managing. You've got your one career. Your, your career is the most important thing to you. You know, but if, he's, if your manager's got 20 kids, you're one of 20. So, you know, and ultimately, it's a short career and you don't want to retire with any regrets. So I think it's important you get out there and push yourself. And, you know, when, I've told you, Andy, about the story when I went, went to America a couple of times in 2010. I got injured. I, I went over there had a meeting with, with a Golden Boy. I was meant to fight Winky Wright. That fell apart. Then they said that honorary Sergio Mora would take the fight. He knocked me back because I was probably higher risk, lower reward from his point of view. Uh, Bella wanted to sign me, but at that time I'd kind of I'd kind of passed the level of the Broadway boxing shows. I wanted to, I wanted to be in the big fights on HBO. Um, anyway, long story short, came back, went back there again in a few more weeks, had a meeting with Bob Arum. It was a similar situation. I was a good fighter, but not a big name in America because I hadn't boxed on American television. So it was going to be difficult to get someone who was a name in America to fight me because they would have seen me as high risk, low reward. So. You know, I felt I had a bit of a week's end. Anyway, fast forward 12 months, when I fought Felix Sturm, Epics, which was an American TV network that was doing mostly sort of films, but they also did some sports in boxing and in fights. Lou DiBella was like a consultant to them, and he told them which fights to buy. And when I came up with me and Felix Sturm, Lou DiBella told them to buy the fight. When I fought Felix Sturm, I was actually promotionally a free agent. I was managed by Brian Peters, but promotion, I was a free agent. But I think that drive and that networking, those trips to America, which cost me a lot of money at the time and I hadn't fought in a year. And, you know, so, you know, you imagine a couple of trips to New York and I was bringing a friend with me because I didn't want to look like a spare piece hanging around the hotel because that made me look cheap. So, you know, I mean, it definitely cost me five or six grand at the time, which I couldn't really, couldn't really afford to be losing. But, you know, I was pushing myself out there and, you know, all right, I didn't, for what I was putting in and what I was spending, I wasn't getting back out of either trip yet. 12 months down the line, probably the whole reason Ludi Bella advised Epics to buy the fight with me and Felix Sturm was because of that, those trips. So, you know, and then of course the fight was the way it was. And, you know, I think Dan Raphael and Lennox Lewis, you know, they thought it was one of the worst decisions they'd ever seen on American TV. So Ludi Bella then flew me out after the fight, signed me on the back of that. I got a fight with Sergio Martinez and Golovkin. I had five fights consecutive on HBO, which at the end of my career earned a lot of money and I was able to invest. So when you're talking there about going over to Australia and you took a fight, I'm thinking, hats off to you, fair play to you. Someone like you, it will happen. It will happen for you because you're driving it. You're, you're, you know, you're not sitting there. What's that Chinese proverb? Man who waits for flying. But... Uh, thing to land in his, his mouth. He's going to be waiting a long time. But you're going out there and you, you, you're networking, you're trying. And, you know, on a spiritual level, 
the universe recognizes that and opportunities will come to you. You know, if you're just sitting there feeling sorry for yourself, thinking lifestyle, you're all carded, or if I was from a busier area, if I was from London or wherever, I'd be getting these opportunities. But you're not from, you're from where, you're from down the West Country, so near Bristol, yet you've moved to Birmingham, you've gone on a plane, you've gone to Australia. That's desire. That is desire. We all talk, we all say we want it. Every, every single person, when they watch Rocky and the music's bouncing at the end, saying, oh, I'd love to be a fighter. Yeah, but when, when the, the music wears up and you've got to get up and you've got to spar and disappointments are hitting you one after the other, you lose the, you lose the desire. Most people, 99.9% of people, lose that desire very quickly. But you haven't lost it. You stayed there. So, so yeah, Adam, like I say, on a, on a, a deeper spiritual level, the universe recognises that sheer desire and that, you know, not giving up, chasing dreams, following it. Like I said, I don't know how good you, you'll end up being or where you'll get to, but I know that opportunities will come your way because the universe will deliver them to you because you've proven that you're going to do whatever it takes to get them and it'll happen for you. No, thank you, Matt. Cheers. Well, I mean, I, I, I echo that. I echo that because it is, it is definitely one of those sports where you have to, you have to want it so much, but you also have to, you have to go out and get it. Um, and to hit on another high and then low that you had, obviously you won that English title. Uh, I was there for that. And then not that long after that, when you were thinking about a British title fight, you were hoping for a British title fight, you did actually get offered one against Ted Cheeseman, the one that Kieran Conway ended up taking. But what I didn't know at the time was that just before that, you had discovered that there was a problem with your brain scan and... I think you'd accepted at that point that it was that it was over. Yeah, pretty much, Andy. Um, I was actually due to fight Kieran Smith for WBC International, uh, the big southpaw from up Scotland. Real good fighter, actually. I really rate Kieran. Um, obviously, about a week before, ten days before I was due to fight him, I can't remember time scales, but very, very close to the fight, um, my brain scan results come back about a cavum septum pollucium. Um, which if you actually do your research, one in four people can um, be born with that. It's just where parts of the brain don't fuse together. Um, your average Joe blogs down the street wouldn't realise because he's not having the intensive brain scans that we are. So, um, And then I, I later discovered, um, sorry to go off topic, that basically about this brain scan stuff, um, my mum got really ill about a year ago and it just made me real um, self-conscious about my own health so I wanted to get all my doc documents from me about my brain scans over the year and this cavum septum pollution was there on my first ever scan and um, so the ultimate decision for me was it's been there from the start it's not really been caused by trauma um, maybe it has, I don't know we never will know I think there's too much uh, mystery around this brain trauma and sport. I talked to Tris Dixon a bit about it. So I've uh, done a bit of research, seen the specialist, and they've said that given my education, I've I'm, I'm got the green light and I'm good to go. But yeah, I was offered the British title fight against Ted Cheeseman as I'd already pulled out against Kieran Smith. And then with all this brain scan stuff going on, without knowing all of it too much and all the details and the ins and outs, I thought it's time to pack up now and just focus on other things. But then obviously everything else started unraveling about a year ago now. So, yeah, that's, the, uh, that's probably me cutting a very long story short. So how, 
how were you mentally, if you like, when you realised that that was probably that you were probably done? Because retirement from boxing, retirement from professional sport is notoriously extremely difficult, but can often be worse when it's when it's forced on. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the One Stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan, New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. Yeah, I think the fact that um, it was forced on me didn't really give me my way of um, going out on my terms. Obviously, I had a big fight against Kieran Smith. But like I said, he's a great fighter, but a fighter I definitely think I could have definitely could have won or I wouldn't have taken it and then when you're getting offered British title fights but you've already made that decision that when there's a brain scan change you're going to walk away um, you know I had to officially announce my retirement because you can't be turning down British title fights because you've had brain scans and you know not taking those opportunities so yeah it was it was disappointing and I was upset I probably went for a bad phase where I've never, you know, touched drugs or smoked. I haven't drank for six and a half years, but I was just binge eating. I put on a lot of weight. I ballooned up um, real, real big. Um, just went off the rails in that sense. Really got down and out. Wasn't really happy in life. Struggled that way more than anything. That's the only way I could describe it. And I do remember seeing on Twitter at one point that you'd, you'd applied for your, your trainee's licence to become a referee. How, how far did you actually get with that not not very far I'd imagine but it just really interested me because generally it's not quite a lot of our referees are our former fighters you think about Bob Williams and, and Ian John Lewis to name just a couple but not as many boxers go into that as I think those of us involved in the sport would would kind of hope that they would yeah so I was doing all my scoring tests uh essentially you go and you have to get um, suited and booted and go to all the local shows. So I was part of the Midlands Area Council going to all the shows and I was doing all my scoring. All my scoring was very, very similar to um, Sean Messer and Christine, the, the Midlands Area refs who uh, I was following. Um, they were really happy. The, I've forgotten his name now, the guy in charge of the Midlands Area Council. He'll probably hate me if he heard this podcast. Um, he was really happy, but there's only like two intakes a year where you go and meet with the British Boxing Board of Control and they upgrade you from like a trainee and they put you into the ring as a trainee ref still, but they'd have actually put me in the ring and I'd have been scoring in the ring and actually refereeing, but it never got to that point. My mum got quite badly ill. Um, the season was over anyway. It was August. And then by the time everything unraveled, I thought I'm ready to have another bash at this, just one more bash. But um, being a referee and an official would definitely be the route I'd go down again if I retired, I think, because I don't think I've got enough time to be a dedicated coach. Uh, I don't want to spend six days a week in the gym with other people. Um, it's the least of my interest now. Um, I'll probably sound horrible for saying that, but I look at my coach who dedicates his whole life to us and he's got a, a wonderful family at home and I just think I couldn't be away from my, my partner. I couldn't. It kills me being away from her for a couple of hours. So 
Um, I couldn't be a coach, maybe an official when I'm when I'm all when it's all said and done because it is something that interests me and I want to stay in boxing. And it just gives you that little foot in the door still. It just gives you that little bit of advice to uh, keep going. That's the way I looked at it. So let's talk Fowler. Let's talk Fight Camp Week Two. And this is a great it's a great opportunity, obviously. Ten rounds on a on a show that will have a lot of eyes on it. When you were available again, uh, I did read that there might have been a possibility of you fighting Kieran Conway on, on May the 2nd. That was something I saw that may or may not be true. You'll be able to tell us, but you just wanted back in with, I guess, any one of them, Eggington, Cheeseman, Fowler, Fitzgerald, Conway, anyone who would, who would, who would, who would happily face you uh, once we came out of the back end of this, of the, of all this madness, really. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. I was actually at training. Um, I was just at the Morrisons in Redditch getting some water before training and I sent Eddie Hearn a voice note on WhatsApp and, um, and then I sent him a message straight after because he's ignored about 36 bloody messages of mine. He never replies to me. Um, and I put in capital letters, please, please listen to that, Eddie. It's very important. Send I'll fight anybody. And he said he would give me the Cheeseman fight or the Conway fight before lockdown. Well, no, no, it was, um, I can't remember what time period it was. I think it was before lockdown. Then lockdown came, or, and then I carried on contacting him. And then when he announced he was doing his garden shows, he ignored another load of my messages. And I don't blame him because, if I'm honest, I'm shocked he hasn't got an injunction against me. I hound the man that much. It's unreal. I'm forever ringing him, texting him, sending him picture messages. You name it, I'm doing it to hound him. And, um... I rang him up one morning when I was fed up, when I was in bed with the missus. And I said, I'm, I said, fuck this boxing. I'm going to ring Eddie here. And if he don't answer, I've had enough of this. And I was ringing it. And all of a sudden, he answered the phone and said, hello. And I went, uh, Eddie, it's, it's Adam Harper. And I said, I want to have the Cheeseman fight, please. And um, originally, I was meant to be fighting Cheeseman. But obviously, the Eggington fight got made. And so be it. It was a great choice. It turned out to be a great fight. So it was a good decision. And then he said, but look, keep training. I promise you, stop hassling me. Stop ringing me. You will have a fight in fight camp. Just keep in the gym and stay sharp. And I did that and he's stuck to his word and he's given me Mr. Fowler now. So, so be it. Um, I remember actually you guys did a show about 18 months ago and you were both talking about Fowler potentially fighting me. Um, you both said it on the comms during the fight. And I remember Fowler afterwards saying about it and, be careful what you wish for because it's here for both of us now. Um, I wanted to fight anybody and I've got it. He said he wanted to fight me when I was English champion and he's got it without the bout. But, you know, we've both got, got to be careful for what we wish for because we've got our wish and on Friday night we're going to see who the best man is. Uh, Matt, this is, this is a really interesting fight. I, I love this fight because, uh, as I said at the start, I've never met anybody who believes in himself more than Adam Harper. But right up there with him is Anthony Fowler. The, the, the self-belief levels uh, of these two when they get in the ring on, on, on Friday will be through the roof because Fowler is, is cut from a similar cloth in that regard. Uh, what do you, in terms of personalities, that's what I love about the matchup, really. We'll wait and see what happens in the ring. But during the course of the week, I think it's going to be interesting when they come face to face too. What do you make of it all? 
No, what I what I love there he, hearing him talk is just the sheer perseverance. You know, <laughs> he's basically nosed Eddie into giving him a slut. You know, but but that, that's what it takes sometimes. You know, it's that not giving up, but it's that perseverance. And if you can take the same level of perseverance into the ring, you know, you're going to be a hard man to beat. Um, look. Andy Fowler is similar. That, that's a guy who, who eats, sleeps, breathes it. He trains like an absolute machine. He wants it bad. He believes in himself. I think Sugar Ray Robinson said, champions have to believe in themselves even when nobody else does. And at times, self-belief and being deluded, it can be a very thin line. You know what yep. I mean? But that's the level of self-belief it does take. No one, you know, you've got to believe in yourself even when no one does. Um, you know, look, you, you, Fowler's obviously the favourite for this fight. You know, he's the, he's the, um, he was the GB kid. He's got massive pedigree. He had loads of fights in the World Series of boxing, but he's been beaten too. You know, he was absolutely sure he was going to beat Scott Fitzgerald, and he didn't. You know, you've gone out there to Australia, you took a fight that in hindsight you probably thought maybe I shouldn't have. But then again, you learnt from the fight, and here you are against Anthony Fowler on a great platform because these these yeah. shows these great viewing figures on Saturday and. I think it's a good it's a good fight. Me and Andy have talked about it. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and now hearing you talk and knowing a bit more about your journey, I'm even more intrigued. Level of stubbornness and perseverance. Listen, it'll be a great fight. Look, can I just interrupt, lads? Because I know that we talk about favourites. He's one to forty at the bookies, and I'm twelve to one. That's the biggest insult. Like, don't get me wrong, the lads are gonna cash in if it comes in for me the lads will back me but 12 to 1 and 1 to 40 is it's a bit of an insult uh, the bookies don't know a lot about boxing clearly he is a massive favourite he was a superb amateur he's a great professional or he's a good professional I should say but realistically has he won any better titles than me he's won a couple of WBA bouts but opponent wise I mean you could argue it both ways Who's been in with a better person, Zarafa or Fitzgerald? Yeah, Fitzgerald's great, but Zarafa world, was world-rated and beat a former world champion. You could argue all day long. Like, Look, I get why he's a favourite. 100% get it. I would never take someone like him lightly. Um, people will see on fight night how much respect I've got for him, and I don't have to be up his ass to have respect for him or even say nice things. So I'm not going to say bad things, um, but I'm in like, superb shape like I always turn up in. Andy will tell you, and hopefully you remember from the Ryan Kelly fight, I've got a superb engine, and I can use my brain a little bit. I know people don't think it, but I can. Um, like, look, I think it's great that I'm the underdog. Um, if I'm honest, I looked at BoxRec the other day, and he's ranked number two. If I was ranked number two and whatever he is in the WBA top ten, the last person I'd want is someone like me coming back on a comeback trail because I'm a massive banana skin. He might chin me in 30 seconds and knock me out, and... Everyone will say I am shit and I was a hype job and I've boxed rubbish people my whole career and I've got away with it. Who knows? But all I'm saying is I'm a massive risk. I'm all risk and no reward for Anthony Fowler. There's no pressure on me. I'm having a tear up in a millionaire's back garden. Me and the lads used to spar with one boxing glove on each down in our local park. For me, this is just, I'm getting paid to do something that's very, very unique. And they'll probably teach us in history lessons when they talk about COVID-19 in years to come. So my point being... He is the favourite. He's a superb athlete. He's a good fighter. Um, he's not on my Christmas card list, but he's an, you know he, he, everything else he, he does good. Um, I've got nothing else to say really. It's going to be a great fight, I think. 
So, so in terms of when you're preparing for a fight, though, I just wonder: do you you mentioned the bookmakers' odds there, and and, and that, that's obviously that's obviously pissed you off slightly, and and I understand that. Um, of course, I understand that. Do you do you need little things like that? Do you, do you need little bits of fuel just to just to get the flames burning a bit stronger? I mean, I think we've established now they're they're they're, they're pretty strong all of the time. But as you head up to the fight, do you will you look for little things this week at the press conference, for example, to to just kind of goad you a bit more into into wanting it even more? Um, I don't think it's possible for me for me to want it more, Andy. I think um, the odds. Uh, I think what Buster Douglas was something like twelve, not twelve to one. The Buster Douglas was a massive underdog, and I'm not comparing myself to the East End. I'm the next Buster Douglas. Cassius Clay was eight to one to win his world title. Again, I'm not saying I'm Muhammad Ali, but Upsets happen in boxing. Um, I don't care that we're fighting with no crowd. I don't care that I'm the away fighter. I've proved that. Three fights, three, my last three fights have been away from home. All been the underdog. Uh, odds at the book is people saying I'm useless. I can't punch. I'm this, I'm that. I'm chinny. You name it, it gets said about me. And um, so now I, I don't need to find any more fuel for the fire. They're, I'm sure everybody and his dog, apart from my close friends and family and my team believe I can beat Fowler. That doesn't upset me. I've had it from the amateur days up until now. I'll probably have it until the day I do retire. Um, so I won't be looking for too much more fuel. I know that I'm in for a hell of a night against him, a real hard night, but I know I'm more than capable of beating him. I can beat anybody on my night. And um, I, like I said, physically and mentally, I'm in a great place. I'm just curious, how does it work with the with, with the hotel? Are the... Is the left-hand side and the right-hand side of the bill, are they kept apart from each other? Because sometimes for domestic cards, ordinarily one set of fighters will be in one hotel and uh, and the others will be in another one. But I'd imagine you are all in the same one for this. What, what I'm saying basically is what are the chances, kind of, once you get out of this 18-hour quarantine, that you'll just keep bumping into each other? Yeah, I think there's a good chance we will bump into each other. Um they did say when I came through the security guards are trying to keep the home and away fighters apart from each other. Um, but like I said, look, I'm a private person. I'm quite a boring individual. I've got my lunch boxes up here. Um, I've got my mobile phone and a bit of TV. So I won't be leaving too much apart from to go to the gym sessions that we have. Um, we have like a cardio session in the morning and we have a, a boxing session in the evening. So unless I bump into him inconveniently, Along there, then I don't think I will see him because I won't be going out and about trying to make new friends and get autographs and doing no meet and greets. My end. Um, like I said, I'm here for business and I've got everything I need in my bedroom. And um, so yeah, I hope I don't see him, but I'm going to obviously see him at the media stuff and um, we'll take it from there. Really, if I do see him, we'll just have to deal with it if and when and what happens. And you mentioned the team, and we've mentioned Black Country Boxing and Errol Johnson and. Errol's kind of the king of the fight camp in a lot of ways because he's got you and he's also got Kane Baker on the same show. The week after, he's got Jason Wellborn and Rachel Ball. And, you know, those are four fights where he supplied four opponents, all of whom are coming 100% to win and all believing that they can and will win. Um so, you know, you and the team of backcountry boxing, it's a big part that's been played in, in the whole of fight camp here, really. Yeah, definitely. I think um, 
Errol's in communication with Eddie straight after my little phone call because I got on the phone to Errol straight away. And I mean, he's got four good fights there, hasn't he? I think Wildborn Cash is an intriguing one at middleweight. Um, look, Rachel Ball, um, I've heard John Pegg speaking about the Rachel Ball fight. That's a, She can really upset the apple cart um, against Shannon Courtney, um, in my opinion. Obviously, I'm friends with Rachel, so I'm going to say that. I'll be slightly biased. And then me, me and Kane are bringing it tomorrow. Uh, we're bringing it on Friday night. So there's no reason why we can't get four upsets. Obviously, at the book is we're massive, massive underdogs. But we're definitely not coming down here, like I said, to roll over and get our bellies tickled. We're, uh, we're coming over to really put on a show and put my name out there. So we won't keep you for too much longer. I've had a few technical difficulties today, which has caused Adam to have to show a, a lot of patience. It's the first time in ages, actually, that, that we've had a few issues I've been dashing around the house trying to find different locations um, but uh, Matt I'll just drop this one on you I haven't warned you about this but he, he mentioned John Pegg there Adam and um, I think you, you, you were hearing from John Pegg over the weekend were you is that is that right on the Sunday on, the, <laughs> on your way home because after egging to Cheeseman well John, John, John Pegg got me home got me all the way down the M25 and the M40 back to Birmingham <laughs> You know, we, uh, we 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 had a good friendly chat about the fight, Sam Higginson and Ted Cheeseman. Um, look, it was a close fight. I couldn't add it any closer than I did. It was one fifteen, one fourteen. Um, listen, if Ted Cheese, if, if Higginson had got the decision by a round or two, absolutely no arguments at all. It was that type of a fight. There was there was several really close rounds, which you probably could have gone ten ten. Don't like to go ten ten. Try and find a winner. Um, the first round being one of those, which actually I went Cheeseman's way, but then there was one in the middle, which again I couldn't really split them, and I went I went Eggington's way, so that kind of balanced it out. Um, it was a close fight. What can you say? I think whoever is going to be on the wrong end of a decision in a fight that close is going to feel hard done by. Yeah, that's just that's just the way it goes, isn't it? And and John, John's passion, we have him on the podcast regularly, is 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 one of the main selling points of the man, and. He's going to stick up for his fighter, back his fighter all day long, absolutely all day long. And I think one thing that, that he was saying to, uh, to somebody else I know is that it is quite strange for them at the moment because they can, they can hear you. And the commentary position is set back from the ring, but obviously it's, it's pretty quiet. And we know what it's like to commentate early in the evening when there's not many people in and we're right on the ring apron and we know that the corners can hear us. So it's not really that new for us, to be honest. But for certain fighters, it could be a bit new. I mean, these are all these little things that are, that are in play at the minute that aren't normally. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's unique, unprecedented times. So there will be that situation. I mean, I, I remember early doors in my career, I was kind of in the... Uh, a can slotted, so to speak, where they have you on, where they can show you, you know, you look good and you get a good knockout or something. They can maybe slip you in if there's a bit of a gap in the action and you'd be on at like six o'clock in the evening, probably maybe your 50 fans that have gone there in a big arena. So you can hear a pin, you can hear everything. And I remember years ago hearing Ian Dark and Jim Watt commentating and it did feel weird, you know, hearing the voices. You go, oh yeah, he's, you know, he needs to box more or he needs to, you can, you can hear these things these actual what they're saying. So, um, and I'd imagine in Eddie's garden, we, we are a little bit back from the ring, but like you say, there is no crowd and you can hear everything. So 
I don't know, John John felt that maybe what we were talking about was influencing the judges. I'm not sure about that now, but, you know, that's, I don't know, I think John's just hurting. He was on the wrong end of a, you know, Sam was on the wrong end of a really close fight, a great fight. And, you know, it, it's difficult when, you, when you're on the wrong end of those. But at the same time, I think Sam also covered himself in glory. I think both of them did in a fight like that. And hopefully... He get back, gets back in. I think if Kieran Conway wins on, uh, I think he's in next week, Conway. No, so, yeah, I think Conway, if, if Kieran Conway was to beat Nav Mansouri, I think Conway and Cheese would be a good fight. Um, you know, obviously, Fowler and Adam here, whoever wins that fight, I think right now, domestically, I think Super Welterweight is probably the best division in terms of strength and depth. James Metcalf, another name. What, you know, it's just a great division domestically. Absolutely. If they could get JJ Metcalf involved in that somehow, that that'd be tremendous. He's Commonwealth champion. He's a Frank Warren fighter, so it presents some difficulties in that regard. But obviously, he will want to win a British title. So if they could make that fight against the board, might order that fight between him and Fitzgerald at at, at some point. We'll have to wait and see when Fitzgerald returns. But yeah, one fifty four is just a brilliant division. And just before we go, just a quick a quick mention of the. The BT show on, on the Friday. Uh, very much enjoyed that. Really enjoyed seeing the three lads from uh, Red Triangle and Liverpool from Everton Red Triangle Box. I thought they all did well. Uh, Kevin Agiarko, I remember seeing him in WSB a while ago now, at least two years ago, give a good fighter an absolute hiding. And I remember thinking at that point that, that I'd be hearing more about him. He's going well. He's undefeated. I thought he looked good. And I thought Lyndon Arthur boxed really well against Dex Spellman and defending his Commonwealth. And I make that fight between him and Anthony Yard. I think that could be such an interesting fight because with the exception of Kovalev, of course, I think Lyndon Arthur is going to be by distance the best fighter that Anthony Yard has has been in with uh, up until this point. Can he keep that jab working, get enough snap on it to to keep Yard off him? I'm just looking forward to that. I think that's going to be a really, really interesting fight. So, gents, I will I will let you go. Thanks very much for your for your patience um, as you had to bear with the technical guru that is Andy Clark. Um, Adam, just one just one quick one. What would you describe the year you've had and, and how it's actually been a really positive year for you, the best year of your life? What what would a win mean to you? Um, a win would mean a lot to me, Andy. It would open up a lot of doors, like. Matt said, you'd be someone like Fowler. It's going uh, to open up massive doors for me. I won't have to be trying to kick him down and ringing up Eddie Hearn and nausing him up. Would I be getting, hopefully, a phone call off him saying, do you fancy this fight? Do you fancy that fight? Um, look, a win would probably top this this year off to be um, unbeatable. It means a world to me. I've put everything into training camp and more. Um, but, look, I'm not, like uh, Matt said as well, it's, it's that thin line be- between being delusional and being confident. I know I'm in a big fight and I know I'm up against it. But all I'm trying to say is the inactivity will not bother me because it's done my brain the world of good. I needed a rest. I've had a good rest. I feel better than I've ever felt before. So there'll be no excuses. So a win for me will essentially change my life and change my career on Saturday night. So it means the world to me. Um, That's what I'm saying. I'm coming down here and I'm going to put 110% into it. Well, we wish you the very best of luck. We wish him the very best of luck too. And everybody else on the card, uh, that's always the most important thing 
for any fight night that everybody comes out at the end of it in in good health. That's all that really matters uh, at the end of it all. So thanks very much for joining us. Uh, it's probably helped you kill a little bit of time whilst you're sat in sat, sat in your room. It's always good to talk to you. Uh, Matt, you too. Um, I won't see you this Friday, but I will see you the Friday after. I can't wait. I can't wait to get involved in it. Um, it looked great on TV on, on, on Saturday, really did. So thanks for listening, everybody. As I said, we're back now and we're not going anywhere until probably we break for, for Christmas, to be honest. So hopefully uh, you enjoy this one and you enjoy the ones to come. And if you do get a chance to give us a rate uh, and a review on iTunes, then that would be cracking. Uh, and we'll catch you again next time. And old Lucy Brown Yes, that light falls on the right, babe Not that Maggie's Back in Podcast Network. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.